Would you all please bow your heads in prayer with me this morning? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today, I want us to think about some of the women in scripture who we might call mothers of our faith, teaching us what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, teaching us along the lines of this sermon series, How Disciples Act. And to do that, I want you to think of some resurrection stories. When you think of resurrection stories in the Bible, what ones come to mind? Probably Jesus, right? The good Sunday school answer, children's minute answer. Jesus' Easter resurrection story is probably the first one. But after that, can you think of any more? Lazarus, yeah, I hear it. Uh-huh, Lazarus' story of being raised from the dead is pretty well known. Maybe if you scratch that Old Testament memory, you remember the story of the widow's son raised by Elijah. But I doubt the story of Dorcas was top on your list, was it? Yes, but that's our story for today. Dorcas, right? What a name. Because of the word dork, the name Dorcas now has a different association connotation than it did in the Greek and back in Acts. But I better be careful because it's probably somebody's name or somebody's mama's name or grandmother's name. In fact, Jay told me his great-grandmother's name was Dorcas Ophelia Gay. Her initials were D-O-G. Dog. Yeah, that requires a southern bless her heart. But in Acts, the name Dorcas or Tabitha in Hebrew, it didn't have that same kind of connotation. The meaning of the name Dorcas is gazelle. So it would give off a connotation more along the lines of something elegant, refined, poised. A modern-day equivalent, I think, would be the name Grace. They seem light years apart, Dorcas and Grace when we hear them, but grace gives you more of a sense of how people would have heard Dorcas back then because she was known for that, for being graceful and grace-filled. So listen to this story about Dorcas or Gazelle or Tabitha and listen for the word from the Lord from Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 43. Now in Joppa... There was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since little was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, Please come to us without delay. So... Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. 
This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this morning, I also want to share with you a parable by Peter Rollins called No Conviction. You may remember um, a little while back we did a series on the parables and Jason shared some of his stories and I started reading through them and this one's good. He wrote it after seeing a car speed pass with one of those bumper stickers that read, if Christianity were illegal, would there be enough evidence to convict you? It's fairly lengthy, but let's listen together because I think it's going to help us also to think about how disciples act. So here it is. In a world where following Christ is decreed to be a subversive and illegal activity, you have been accused of being a believer, arrested and dragged before a court. You have been under clandestine surveillance for some time now, and so the prosecution has been able to build up quite a case against you. They begin the trial by offering the judge dozens of photographs that show you attending church meetings, speaking at religious events, and participating in various prayer and worship services. After this, they present a selection of items that have been confiscated from your home, religious books that you own, worship CDs, and other Christian artifacts. Then they step up the pace by displaying many of the poems, pieces of prose, and journal entries that you had lovingly written concerning your faith. Finally, in closing, the prosecution offers your Bible to the judge. This is a well-worn book with scribbles, notes, drawings, and underlinings throughout. Evidence, if it were needed, that you had read and reread the sacred text many times. Throughout the case, you have been sitting silently in fear and trembling. You know deep in your heart that with the large body of evidence that has been amassed by the prosecution, you face the possibility of a long imprisonment or even execution. At various times throughout the proceedings, you have lost all confidence and have been on the verge of standing up and denying Christ. But while this thought has plagued your mind throughout the trial, you resist the temptation and remain focused. Once the prosecution has finished presenting their case, the judge proceeds to ask if you have anything to add. But you remain silent and resolute, terrified that if you open your mouth, even for a moment, you might deny the charges made against you. Like Christ, you remain silent before your accusers. In response, you're led outside to wait as the judge ponders your case. The hours pass slowly as you sit under guard in the foyer waiting to be summoned back. Eventually, a young man in uniform appears and leads you into the courtroom so that you may hear the verdict and receive your word of punishment. Once you have been seated in the dock, the judge, a harsh and unyielding man, enters the room, stands before you, looks deep into your eyes, and begins to speak. Of the charges that have been brought forward, I find the accused not guilty. In a split second, the fear and terror that had moments before threatened to strip your resolve are swallowed up by confusion and rage. 
Despite the surroundings, you stand defiantly before the judge and demand that he give an account concerning why you are innocent of the charges in light of this evidence. What evidence? He replies in shock. What about the poems and prose that I wrote, you replied. They simply show that you think of yourself as a poet, nothing more. But what about the services I spoke at, the times I wept in church in the long, sleepless nights of prayer? Evidence that you are a good speaker and actor, nothing more, replied the judge. It's obvious that you deluded those around you, and perhaps at times you even deluded yourself. But this foolishness is not enough to convict you in a court of law. But this, ma this is madness, you shout. It would seem that no evidence would convince you. Not so replies the judge, as if informing you of a great, long-forgotten secret. The court is indifferent toward your Bible reading and church attendance. It has no concern for worship with words and a pen. Continue to develop your theology and use it to paint pictures of love. We have no interest in such armchair artists who spend their time creating images of a better world. We exist only for those who would lay down that brush and their life in a Christ-like endeavor to create a better world. So until you live as Christ and his followers did, until you challenge the system and become a thorn in our side, until you die to yourself and offer your body to the flames, until then, my friend, you are no enemy of ours. How do disciples act? They do. They act. They care. It's not just words. It's not just belief without works that amounts to nothing. It's not just painted pictures of love. They change the world that they are in. When Dorcas was on trial after her death, there was ample evidence to convict her. The widows in the community were bringing in the garments that were so beautifully and thoughtfully made that she had made for them, and they were on display. It was like the great Joppa fashion show. They were bringing them in and saying, look at how she did this for me. Isn't this lovely? Oh, we miss her so much. Displaying all of her hard work for everyone to see, there was no question. Guilty as charged. The scripture says she was known for her good works and acts of charity. One of the good works that is noted in the scripture is her care for the widows that were there at her deathbed, bringing the garments that she had so lovingly, painstakingly crafted for them. And I think it's interesting and probably likely that the widows were Greek because Peter calls her by her Hebrew name. Tabitha, get up, he says. But when it talks about the widows showing the garments Dorcas had made, she's called by her Greek name. So it's very possible that these widows were Greek converts. And if you'll remember, just a few chapters ago in Acts chapter 6, we learned that the Greek widows were the ones that they kept overlooking, that kept getting forgotten about, and not fed, and not taken care of. So it sounds like Dorcas is doing what Rollins talked about in his parable, challenging the system, not by dismantling it, but by being a part of it, holding the name of disciple and caring for those who are overlooked.
Because did you know that Dorcas is the only female who is named disciple in the New Testament with that term disciple, methetria. Not that there weren't other female disciples. We know about Phoebe and Priscilla and Lydia and Mary, but she's the only one that's given that term methetria in all of the New Testament. But it shouldn't catch us too off guard that there is a female disciple named in scripture because Jesus was setting us up for that understanding. And Matthew, pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. So recognizing the men and women among them as disciples. He's setting us up for that understanding that women as well as men were supposed to learn from Jesus and proclaim the good news. Because think back to that famous Mary and Martha story. What was Martha busy doing? everything, right? She was just busy running around the house, getting everything taken care of, getting the meal done. She was a little upset. And what was Mary busy doing? Sitting. Sitting at Jesus's feet, the text says. And this isn't happenstance that it mentions that Mary's sitting at at his feet, because when a disciple would learn from a rabbi or a teacher, it was said that they would sit at his feet to learn. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet assuming the role of a disciple and this would have pushed against the patterns of their day. This would have upset people, but Jesus doesn't rebuke her. In fact, he said, do you remember what he said? That Mary had chosen the better part. She shows us what it looks like to be a disciple. To sit at the feet of Jesus when a thousand different things and persistent people who we love, it was her sister pulling on her, are calling us to do something else. She shows us what it looks like to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I just love this story. Can't you imagine how fun that must have been for Mary to get to sit at Jesus' feet and listen and ask all the questions that she'd been pondering? Finally, not on the outside overhearing all the male disciples asked, but given her own chance to sit at his feet as a disciple, a methetria. Dorcas is called by that name, methetria, which we translate as disciple, and it comes from the verb manthano, which means to learn. Mary was a learner sitting at Jesus' feet to learn from him. So too Dorcas was a learner, a disciple, sitting and learning from Jesus and the traditions that have been passed down. And once you've sat at Jesus' feet, it changes your life. So she was living that out in her life by not only seeing those in need around her, but doing something about it, by caring for them, providing them with clothing. And back then, that was a bigger task than today. Today clothes. They're inexpensively mass-produced. They're pretty easy. You can run up to TJ Maxx and grab something, right? Dorcas, however, invested a lot of time and money to get those women clothed. That needlepoint, remember how much time it takes. Hazel, um, my oldest daughter, is actually learning about money and the value of things in school right now. And she had a little lesson on this this last week, and it was talking about Something that we know, but sometimes we forget. Back then, someone needed a sheep to make wool. 
Then that wool had to be spun into thread. Then the thread had to be procured to be made into a garment that took countless hours to produce. Those of you who have stitched dresses know what I'm talking about. It took a lot of time and money just for one simple garment to be made. So it was more than just a nice act. A lot of times when I think about Dorcas, when I first started thinking about her story, I thought it was just this nice thing that she did for these women. But it was more than that. A lot of time, the work that that women do can just get looked at as this nice little act, but it was more than that. It was an act of commitment and care she invested in them. And as I've been thinking about Dorcas's story, I couldn't get out of my head um, what Jay shared with me recently that he and his leadership Montgomery team did. Uh, they partnered with ENS Suit Warehouse to get 11 students into tailored suits. So talking about garments made with care, right? These are students who are part of the mentoring program run by Nick Rankins out of Lowndes County, the mentoring program he started called Young Men on a Mission. And they weren't just given a secondhand suit, though, you know, that could have been nice and helpful, but they took their measurements. They probably felt pretty special when that was happening, right? And they went above and beyond to give them tailored suits to fit these young men, a gift that they were surely proud of and proud to wear, but it was more than the suit. It was the intentionality of their mentor to find those relationships to invest in their lives in so many different ways. It was more than just a suit. The relationships and the travel that they do with Rankins are allowing them to imagine new possibilities and giving them opportunities, you know, when they have that that suit that they can wear for a job interview and as they prepare to go to school. In fact, you may have seen the article in the Montgomery Advertiser recently where one of his mentees, Kendarius Matthews, said, growing up not having that father figure in my life, well, Nick filled that gap in for me, Matthews said. He exposed me to many different positive things and opened my mind and my eyes to different opportunities that I never thought I would be afforded. That relationship helped him to imagine new possibilities, to see the world in new ways. The widows that Dorcas outfitted were surely proud of what she had shared with them, of the time that she had put into those garments, but also into them. And so they brought them to her deathbed saying, do you see what she did for us? Do you see how she loved us? how she invested in us. Those widows were thankful for their clothing, but I imagine they were also so deeply thankful for their relationship with this mother of the faith who teaches us what it looks like to be a disciple. She teaches us what it looks like to care about our community so much that the community just can't let us go. She teaches us what it looks like to care about our community in such a way that they start to believe and imagine new possibilities and resurrection hope. I mean, they thought she was dead. And they said, you know what? It seems impossible, but maybe, just maybe. My prayer and hope is that the same can be for you, that you hear in your heart what Dorcas heard, rise to new life 
and you do. I pray that you rise to action, to love and good deeds, not through your own power, but through the power of Jesus Christ at work within you. In the name of the risen Lord, I pray it. Amen.